And it was so that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she, meaning Mary, should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Christ the Lord. Father, I'm thankful this morning the privilege of being in this place with your people. And God, we're thankful for the spirit that's in this place. We're thankful for the choir that, that uh, just sang and what they sang and why they sang. Father, I'm thankful for that. Thankful for the testimonies of trust and, and uh, glory to you. And we're thankful, Father, that you have given us, us this season to celebrate the birth, not only of your Son, but our Savior, Jesus Christ. And for that and more, we praise you and thank you. And we pray, God, as we consider this story that's old by now, God, help us to remember, and we do, for those that are saved, it never grows old. May someone, Lord, today hear it and believe it and trust in the message of it. God, deliver them from their sins. Deliver them, God, from like Ann Summer said, a Christless eternity today. Bless us, Father, as we have gathered in this place, and we give you the praise. We give the glory, give the honor for all of it because we ask it. And that name that's above every name, the name of Jesus, your Son, our Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. I want to draw our attention back to verse 11, which says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I want to talk to you this morning in our third investment or our third offering, I don't know what the best way to say it is, in our little mini-series that God laid on my heart about three weeks ago about this. I'm going to talk about when the perfect man came. We talked in the first message about when God came, and we all agree that it was a deep message. Say amen if you agree. But it was a good message. We learned that God, who is above all, came to dwell among men, and he did it in becoming like man. I told you all that in the Old Testament, God created man in his image, but when his son entered into this world to seek and to save that which is lost, he was made in the likeness of men, and that is amazing. I couldn't explain God. I had a hard time, friend, bringing a message about that because I was in deep water. But I'll tell you what, I enjoyed hanging onto the plank and just floating around a while. The next message was out of the book of Matthew. And I preached about when the king came. The Old Testament closed out with the Jewish nation looking for a king and a kingdom. 
And when Matthew opened his Gospels, he opened it by saying the book, the beginning of the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, which puts Jesus in the royal line as the king, friend, as the king whom God was promising to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7 that would sit upon his father's throne and rule over a kingdom that would last for eternity. And we found a lot about the king. In fact, you all said, I understood this message, preacher. It was a whole lot easier. Well, I don't know what to tell you this third message is going to be, so just hang on. You can tell me what you think when I get done, but I want to talk to you about when the perfect man came. As I just told you, friend, in Matthew, Matthew presents Jesus as the king. In the book of Mark, he presents him as the tireless servant of the Lord God Jehovah. In the book of John's gospel, we have God manifest in the flesh, but here in the gospel account of the, of the, of the life, I'll say, of Jesus Christ, we find that, the, that this physician this Gentile physician who was a companion of the Apostle Paul uh, presents Jesus, friend, as the perfect man. And when you begin to think about that, it's appropriate to have a physician to write about the birth of the Savior. And it was not an ordinary uh, conception in birth. The birth was as ordinary as anyone's birth, as my birth, as your birth. Uh, but listen, the conception uh, by which Jesus came into this world was anything uh, but natural. In fact, it was supernatural. In fact, I'll just simply say like this and move on, it was a God thing. Amen. Amen. The Word of God is amazing. Now, I told you at the beginning of this series, the Gospels are not a biography of Jesus. They are a narrative, and they are simply a portrait of him. There isn't everything in these four Gospels that there is to know about Jesus. But then again, there isn't everything to know about God in this Bible. But believe me when I say this, there's enough for me and you to know. If you want to be saved and if you want to die, when you die, go to a place called heaven instead of a place called hell. And if you go to heaven, believe me, there will be a continual unfolding and revelation of who and what God is. You say you believe that, preacher? Well, let me quote a verse out of the book of Isaiah. He said, as high as the heavens are from the earth, so is my ways above your ways and my thoughts above your thoughts. So you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking it'll be a continual revelation of God to those who have trusted him and for those that love him. Now I want you to know something about the doctrine of Jesus Christ. It is what can be called and referred to as a cardinal doctrine. You say, what is a cardinal doctrine, preacher? Something that's read? No, it's something that is essential. Without the Without the virgin birth of Jesus, without the miraculous conception of God's only begotten Son, friend, I want you to know something. 
there'd be no salvation. There'd be no hope. There would be no Savior. We would all still be in our sins and either in hell or fast on our way to go there. So, listen, this, this virgin birth of Jesus, without it he could not have died as he did, meaning as a sinner's substitute, nor could he have come out from among the dead as he did after dying. In fact, without his virgin birth, uh, he could only have died as a sinner that he would have been, and all of us, friend, would still be in need of a Savior. But wait just a minute. The angel said, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. Let me say this because I can't wait till I wanted to say it. Hey, he's not a Savior among many. He's the one and only deliverer of all mankind. And I say glory to God about that. Thank God Luke brings us good news. That's what the gospel is. Good news. It's good news that the uh, perfect man has come and has satisfied the demands of a holy, righteous God and the needs of sinful men like you and I. Let me read something to you that I got out of J. Vernon McGee's um, uh, commentaries. Man, I love that man. I love that man. You, you know he comes from Texas and Texans and West Virginians. We, you know what? We have a similar vernacular. We sound alike. All right? We, sa- we sound like we come from the same county, from the same mama and daddy. But listen to what Paul said in reference to Galatians 4.4, 4, which says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Verse 5 goes on to say, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might be made, or that we might be made, that we might be made, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Paul said, Paul told them that when the right time had come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made of the law, that this son of God died for them. Paul walked the Roman roads with the universal language, preaching a global gospel about the perfect man who died for the men of the world. The religion of Israel could produce only a Pharisee. The power of Rome could produce only a Caesar. The philosophy of Greek could only produce a global giant like Alexander the Great who was merely an infant at heart. But it was to this Greek mind that Luke wrote and he presented Jesus Christ as the perfect man, the universal man, the very person the Greeks were looking for. And if you come looking for a Savior today, I'll point you to Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son. Amen. I like that if I am preaching myself. In Luke's genealogy of Jesus, through his mother Mary, we find that he is related to the first man. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, 
In the book of Matthew, we have the genealogy of Jesus through his stepfather, who was, uh, whose name was Joseph. In the book of Luke, we have the genealogy of Jesus uh, by his virgin mother named Mary. They were both of the house and of the lineage of David. Luke takes, or Matthew takes his genealogy as far back to Abraham and puts him among the right race. But do you know what Luke does? Luke takes his genealogy back to Adam, the first man. Now, I'd like to stay about 45 minutes right there, and don't, don't, don't get frightened. I'm not going to do that, but one of these days I'll preach a message on that. I have learned so much about the last Adam and the first Adam. I've learned so much about why I had why Christ had to come into this world like he is. In fact, I had a... I had another whole outline that I'd worked on yesterday and last evening. And I got up this morning and I read it and I said, you got to be kidding. There's no way. I'm, it was awful. I mean, it was, now it had some good content, but it was awful. God uses strange ways to get us to where he wants to get us, don't he, brothers? He certainly, certainly does. So this, this is the message today, and I'm glad that it is. But he was related to the first man. Oh, but thank God. He was much more than an ordinary man. He was the God man. He was, he was one person. With, he was one body with two natures in him, the divine nature and the human nature. I love saying this. He was so much God, it was as if he were not man. And he was so much man, it was as if he were not uh, God. But I'll tell you in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son, Mary's first born virgin son. We have both God and man. And I say glory, hallelujah about that. You see, listen, here's the good thing. Although he was in the lineage of Adam, he had none of Adam's likeness nor any of Adam's image. Y'all do know that God created the first man in his likeness and in his image. But for the rest of us, I got bad news for you. If you read in the book of Genesis chapter 5 verse 3, we picked up Adam's image and likeness. Now, in some way, we're still in the likeness and image of God because we're threefold beings, because we think, and, and, and many other things I'm going to spend time to do, but I'm going to get done with this message. But I'll tell you what, listen, when Jesus came, he had none of that. He was God conceived in the womb of a virgin by the power of the Holy Ghost and birthed nine months later as the child born. And the son given, as Isaiah prophesied. Although I believe it is in the conception that we find the perfect place to find the perfect man set forth in a profound way. Here's where my message changed from yesterday. I believe that the Lord would have us consider briefly these three great events in the life of Jesus. Number one, 
I'm not going to do away at these conceptions. That's where I'm starting. Back up in chapter 1 of the book of, of Luke. I want to look at his conception and his birth. The birth will be the last thing that I mentioned shortly. But in verses 26 through 25, we have some amazing stuff. I mean, look, friend, have you ever wondered where in the gospel of Luke that Luke proves by what he recorded about Jesus how he is the perfect man? You ever wondered about it? I'm telling you, have no trouble figuring Matthew presents him as a king. Mark is a servant. John as God incarnate. I picked up on those real easy. But when I got to studying, that's what Papa used to do when he was thinking, thinking, ruminating. When I began to think about this and in my studying of the Word of God, I thought, where, Lord, where do you show uh, yourself as the perfect man? I thought, you know what? And I'll go there in just a minute to go to the go to the crucifixion and see what some people who were his enemies that said about him. But I thought there's got to be more to that. It's got to be deeper than that. And I was right. God put that desire in my heart. God stirred my spirit to read and to consider and to think. And here it is, I believe, with all of my heart that we find it most displayed in the conception of Jesus Christ. We, we talk about the miraculous birth of Christ, but please, everyone, listen to me. That wasn't too miraculous. It was a birth of another man-child. No big deal. Something that could be added to Caesar's... Um, Thank you. I couldn't think. I was trying to see it in, in his census. Another tax dollar. Another... another uh, um, shekel of redemption that could go into the temple's coffers. But here we have God presenting his son to us as the perfect man. Y'all know none of us is perfect, don't you? Can I tell you a little joke? There's this man died, had a wife and, and a son. He's pretty ornery, pretty mean to his wife and pretty mean to his son. The day of the funeral, the mom and the son was sitting there where they normally do. That preacher up there was preaching. Buddy, I'm telling you, he was throwing flowery phrases one after another about that man. That mama took it long as she could. After about 15 minutes, she punched her son in the side and said, Son, go up there and look. Make sure that's your dad because he sure ain't talking about my husband. Jesus was the perfect man. I tell you all the time that though we're saved, none of us are perfect even after we get saved. But thank God we've got a perfect salvation. You see Jesus coming as a man. And look at this. You see this just blows me away. As the seed of the woman. Women aren't supposed to have a seed but in order for us to have a perfect man who could die as a sinner's substitute, Jesus had to be virgin born. Couldn't have been a 
seed of Adam. Couldn't have been a descendant of David in the natural way. And if you look at the genealogy of Jesus uh, through uh, Joseph in the book of Matthew, there's an interruption when it gets to the point that God is ready to introduce his son into the genealogy of David and into this world. It says, And Jacob begat Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, which is called Christ. Man, I'll tell you, things like that make me know without a doubt that this book is the inspired word of God. So look at verse 27 with me. It says in verse 26 that in the sixth month of the angel Gabriel, the sixth month of of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent Gabriel into the city of of Galilee named Nazareth. Now look at how this is read. To a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. Now you'd think that would be enough. You'd think that verse could stop with a period. But no, there's a colon. And then he continues. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now let me tell you all something. When God says something once, we ought to pay attention to it. If you agree with that, say amen. But when he repeats himself, we best take note. And let me tell you something. Remember I told you the conception, this virgin birth of Jesus is a cardinal doctrine. It would have been impossible for him to die for anyone but himself had he not been the seed of the woman. Had he not been conceived as he was. Had he not been birthed by a woman who was pure. That is so, so important. She was a virgin in the strictest sense. It was prophesied of in the book of Isaiah chapter 7. The book of Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 22 says that a woman shall compass a man. Boy, that's a pretty picture of the virgin birth. Do you all know what happened here when Jesus was implanted in the womb of Mary? Now listen to this statement. The very God that created himself was created. Don't tell me you understand that because you don't. Now, he who always was, the child is given. And he who was to be birthed out of Mary's womb, a son was born. I I don't get it either, but I thank God. Y'all looking at me funny this morning right now. I know what you're thinking, aren't you? You're thinking, preacher, you said it wasn't going to get real deep. Well, I didn't mean for it to, but it is. Look, friend, in the strictest sense, God wanted us to know that she was without a shadow of a doubt, a virgin in the strictest sense. We even see something else about it. Let me go ahead and jump down. Just look down there with me if you don't care. And look at what Mary said in verse 34. How shall this be seen? I know not a man. In the Bible, when 
The word of God uses that he knew her or she knew. It means in an intimate sexual way. And Mary was just as pure in that manner as the driven snow. Look, if you will, verses 30, 31, 32, 33. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, bring forth the Son, call his name Jesus, and he shall be great, shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall rule over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Isn't that something? Now listen to what the angel told. I'm just going to highlight them. Mary, you're going to have a son. His name is going to be Jesus if you go look back in Matthew chapter, chapter 1, verse 21, you'll find that the name of Jesus means Savior. And he came, listen to me, unsaved. He came to save you from your sin, not in your sin. Too many people don't realize that truth about what Jesus came to do. He would be not only great, but he would be the son of the highest. And he would be a king. But we're not done. Look at verse 35. After Mary said, How shall this be, seeing I know not a, name, know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born to thee shall be called the Son of God. Man, can you see the perfect man being declared? Can you see what God did to get him here and to ensure the fact that the, that the Redeemer that we needed, the man that could die in the stead of all other men, do you see how God broke into the natural way of progression and progeneration to do something totally Unnatural. I want to say glory right there. Let me highlight those things if I may. You said the Holy Ghost shall come upon you. Listen, can I tell you, may sound strange, God wants to do the same for you unsaved that he did for Mary. He wants to birth Jesus in your heart, in your life. That's what happens. When you're born from above, and if you get to heaven, you must be born again. That's what born above means because you've been born after the nature of Adam. He's earthy and that won't do in eternity. You need something to make you heavenly and it's being uh, becoming a partaker of the divine nature of God through a new birth process. But he goes on, not only shall the Holy Ghost uh, come upon thee, but he said, the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Every time I read that and think about this, one time as I was studying this long ago, a commentator pointed me back to the book of Exodus where the tabernacle was built. And when it was dedicated, the Spirit of God 
just filled it so greatly that no man can enter into it. And that, and that same Holy Spirit, that same power of God, that same manifestation of God's presence just hovered over it. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened in that moment any more than I do the three hours that Jesus hung in the darkness on the cross. But let me tell you what I do know. Divine business took place. And it happened for me and you. And you know what I say about that? Luke says that this thing is a holy thing. He is the Son of God. And I say glory to God. Number two. His substitution or death. Look in Luke chapter 23 if you don't care. Really quickly a couple of things and we're almost done. At verse 33. And when they were coming to the place which is called Calvary. There they crucified him. And the malefactors, malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Y'all know what they did? They crucified him. Innocent, guiltless. But you know what? When he died, he wasn't dying for himself, but he was dying for me and you. That's why he died. You see, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. God pronounced death upon mankind in the beginning, in the garden, after Adam and Eve transgressed the law of God, went beyond it, breached the boundaries of God's law. But Jesus never sinned. But he was willing to die in our place as our substitution because you and I are sinners. Do you know what his enemies said about him and yet they crucified him? The Sanhedrin led by a man by the name of Caiaphas could not even find two false witnesses that would agree with each other to find means by which they could accuse the Christ. A man by the name of Pilate that examined him closely uh, according to Roman law. And listen, you may say or think a lot of things about Pilate, his ability or lack thereof. He knew how to examine a man and find guilt or innocence. And he declared at least three times that I find, now listen to how I'm going to finish this, no fault in this man. Isn't that amazing? When he was suspended between the heavens and the earth and that day, the malefactor that was hanging on his right, Jesus was between two, one on his left, malefactor on the right. When the other malefactor said this, when he railed on him and said, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us, the other answered, rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing that thou art in this same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. Can you think what the next word is? But. Now listen. Listen to the next two words. But this man had done nothing amiss. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, given up the ghost, cried into thy hands, I commend my spirit, bowed his head, laid it on his chest, 
as if laying it on a pillow to sleep. The centurion looked and said, Truly, this was a righteous man. You know what the Word of God teaches us in the book of Isaiah? It says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord, meaning God, has laid upon him, meaning Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. Because he was the perfect man. Because he was all that that God promised. God could lay on him my sins, your sins, and the sins of all the world as our substitute. Allow him to die as God allowed him to die. Enduring the cross, despising the shame that was meant for me and you. You know what we've got in this? We've got a perfect man who is a perfect Savior. And finally, come on Judy. In Luke chapter 24, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. Talking about his resurrection. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher or the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with him. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher, and they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, I love this, why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet with you in the Galilee. The resurrection, my brother, my sister, sir, ma'am, was the capstone of everything Jesus said and everything Jesus did. And by the way, this too is a cardinal doctrine. Listen, friend, he could not have died and he would not have risen if he had not been conceived. If he had not been conceived in a virgin's womb by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, he would not have been birthed as he was the perfect man, the sinner's uh, uh, perfect sinless sacrifice and the perfect Son of God who became the sinless Son of Man. Go ahead, Judy. One of my favorite verses in the entire Word of God is found in 1 Corinthians chapter, 1, chapter 15. I believe it is verse 3 where it says, Christ died for our sins. And I got good news for you. Not some of them, but all of them. And when He died, just as Isaiah said, just as I read, in some way, I know not how, but I believe with all of my heart. God laid on His Son, Jesus, His only begotten Son, His one-of-a-kind, unique Son. He laid on Him my sin and your sin. Not some of them, but all of them. And like the scapegoat in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement, after the high priest laid his hands the head of that scapegoat and confessed all the sins of the nation of Israel the scapegoat was led away by a I forget what the phrase is by a fit man maybe into the wilderness 
go to a place where he could never be found and no man could discover all of those sins. God gave his son so his blood can cleanse us from all of them. And in Luke 19 and 10, in closing, Luke said this about Jesus. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Can I tell you, when we preach about Easter, we say that a lot, but may I say, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, that's what that's all about. Nobody has trouble looking at a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying, on a, laying in a manger. He brings no threat. He's not hard or difficult to accept. So loving and just so precious. But remember, He not only was birthed, but He died. He died for me and you. I don't care what kind of sin you committed. I don't care what kind of sin you've done. I don't care how long you've been in your sinless condition. Sir, ma'am, I'm here to tell you that Jesus will save you today if you'll just simply come to Him. Every head bowed, no one looking around. As we go back to the text verse that I started with in chapter 2, the angels brought good news. I Repeat good news. Sir, ma'am, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Can I ask you what you need delivered of? What do you need freed from? What did you start and try that has taken hold of you now? I mean, it could be drink, it could be drugs, it could be pornography, could be gambling, it could be adultery, it could be fornication, lying, stealing. The list could go on and on. It could be the sins of the flesh. It could be sins of the Spirit. But may I tell you the good news. Christ will set you free. Give you the gift of Himself. And when you get Him, you'll get all you need. You'll get eternal life. And He'll save you. He'll seal you with the Holy Spirit. Make you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And if you came today lost, but you don't want to leave that way, would you quietly, quickly put your hand up, put it back down until I see it and say, God bless you. And say to that preacher, I need to be saved. I need that gift. I need that gift that will last. I need that gift that will give me peace. I need that gift that will change me and my destiny for eternity. Anyone put your hand up, put it back down.